Here we are, now, with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. My name is Dosta, and today I'd like to talk about music, and more broadly, more specifically, musicians, and how music relates to the five bodies the physical, the energy, the emotional, the causal, and the cosmic. I recently had a talk, a conversation, where I discussed in detail the differences between these different bodies. And here I want to skewer the music thread through that. Now, if you are a musician, there's something special about you. You're in a unique position. You are a different class of human being. You are unlike all the rest. To be a musician, you have a thing within you an intuition within you, which is deep, broad, and expanding. You understand how to have a sense of magic, a sense of awe. And your intuition is to wake up to the five bodies. It's to have a physical ability to experience energy in a way that is outside the normal crowd of your culture. You have an emotional complexity, an emotional need, and you have a deeper emotional ability. And also you have a mental ability a cognitive ability, which is unlike other cognitive abilities or the normal intelligence or the way of thinking that we would call normal. And this is the causal body. And also I'd say that if you're a musician, you have a cosmic intuition. You have a drive, a subtle desire to disappear into the all, into the magnitude of existence. And the reason music appeals to you is because it's a pathway to expanding these bodies. It's the way you enter a body. It's how you complexify these bodies. It's how you find a newness and you enjoy the language of each body. So let's just start with what it's like to be a beginner musician. Let's imagine the very first lesson ever of a brand new cab off the rank first timer 
green as they come. Let's say this kid is playing saxophone. And he comes into his first lesson. And what's the teacher going to say? Well, do you know anything at all? Now, if the kids learnt how to set up the saxophone and blown a few things into it already before the lesson, and there's a high chance they have, then there's an intuition there that is an initiative. It's an eagerness. And if not, the teacher's going to say, well, put, put the mouthpiece on, put the reeds together, set it up like this, clean it out, oil it up, and this is a physical object. It starts with the object. And then the teacher's saying, well, breathe this way, move your lips this way, put your fingers in this position, blow through it like this. And this is the physical realm. This is the physical body. It all begins with the physical body. And then soon enough after this, the teacher's going to have a piece of paper in front of that student. And on that piece of paper, there's a dot, there's a little circle. And the teacher's taking their time to point out the lines, the squiggles, the different shapes. She's explaining what they mean. She's giving the student an understanding. And this dot, once enough context is given, is going to serve as a correlation between what the student does on the saxophone and what it means. So it's basically point at that dot and then say move your fingers into this position and blow like this and this sound comes out. And immediately there we have this connection between the physical body and the causal body, otherwise known as the mind, the physical and the mental. And then the student will, once they've got a handle on that first note, the teacher will then say, well, here's the next note, and now do this position. And then tediously, painstakingly, <laughs> well, depending, depending on how the learning process goes, it's not always tedious. It can be playful and fun. But going along, the teacher is going to be saying, this note here, this physical position here, makes this sound here over and over and over again. And slowly, the student is going to be able to build up each note to play a phrase. Now, what's missing there is the, the emotional body. If the student is... Not Well, if the, if the teacher is not aware of this emotional body and the emotional context, then the emotion is left to chance. Now, usually on their first lesson, a student is a bit nervous. They're a little bit tentative or worried, and they can become stressed. And piano uh, music lessons, piano le well, I've just said too much, haven't I? Was that a Freudian slip? <laughs> piano lessons. Well, if it's piano, but if it's saxophone, any instrument, music lessons in general, they are, if left to, by chance, with the emotional body, they can become quite stressful. This daunting teacher, this restrictive teacher, 
is fighting, you must do it right, hit the knuckles with the stick kind of teacher. There's an emotional profile and situation building up there for the student and their relationship to music. Now, it can go the other way by chance, which is that the student works their way through these first few notes and learns how to get their fingers into position, more or less, and then they hear this phrase and there's an emotion coming from the music. Now, the emotion in the student from music is different to emotion from the situation of the teaching environment. Now, when two human beings are in a room, there's an emotional back and forth there. And usually the adult has the upper hand. The adult's emotional ability and influence is much more powerful than a child's. So the, the, the adult, the teacher, decides the mood of the room. That's their responsibility. But if the teacher can let this emotion happen from the music, then the student begins a relationship which is directly to the music and it relates to their emotional body. Now, after some time, some years, this student is going to get better. They're going to learn how to read. They're going to learn more from the causal body. They're going to have more and more complex pieces, more and more phrases. Now, if they remain centered in the causal body, which otherwise we can call the mind, they're not going to have an emotional complexity. If they're stuck with this thing of physical equals note on the page and this mind-body is just a one-way back and forth, then they're going to become a robot. They're going to be a machine playing music. And they can become even stuck just in the physical, which is you practice your technique. Technique is all physical. The foundation of music is how do you get the notes to sound in the right place by having your lips in the right position, your fingers in the right positions, your arms in the right positions, in the right time, in the right way. It's all based on the physical. So scales up and down, arpeggios up and down, doing it in 12 keys over and over again, using a metronome doing it back and forth, doing it at different tempos, doing it for days on end. This is all the physical stuff. This is the physical realm. This is the physical body. Now, there is a sensitivity that's required for a student to open up to the subtle body. And sometimes students arrive at this because they're actually reaching the end of the physical body. Now, what that looks like is the student's trying to play fast. The musician's trying to play more notes. They're trying to become more technical. And they might be doing some shows. They're doing some performances. And they're forcing it. They're using muscle. They're trying really hard and they're becoming tense. And there's lots of stories of musicians who have... RSI, 
is a famous jazz saxophonist called Eddie Lockjaw Davis. And he got that nickname Lockjaw because he practiced so much that one time his jaw seized up, the muscles seized up, and he couldn't open them. Couldn't open his jaw. Now that's an example of the physical body being pushed, the physical realm taken to its extreme. And some guitarists get it, or, well, all sorts of musicians. It could be violinists or drummers or even pianists, but it's more often in the wrists for these musicians. And the tendons just below the palm of the hand seize up and they have a clench. And they can't play. They've tried so hard that they can't play. Now, that's the limit of the physical body. After the physical body, we have the subtle body. Now, the subtle body is the gateway into the energy body. Now, when you have energy, this idea of energy, think of this. Well, the energy body, when we were talking about that before, I gave a few ideas of how you can get in touch with it. But here's another idea of how, if you, if you want to understand the energy body, there's an easy way to do it. You go out onto a field, an oval, open oval somewhere, and you spin around really, really fast. Make sure you haven't eaten in the last two hours. But you spin around, spin around, spin around with your eyes open, spinning, blurring, blurring, blurred vision, arms out, spinning, spinning, spinning. And you do that for as long as you can. And then you stop and fall to the ground. And face down with your eyes closed, you lie on the grass. And that will put you into your energy body. Now that's stirring up the energy body. You'll feel a nausea. You'll feel a swirling inside. So your physical body will be perfectly still. It won't be doing anything. You're lying perfectly still on the grass. And yet it will feel like you're moving all over the place. And a similar sort of effect happens if you do bungee jumping or you go on on a plane ride. When the plane takes off or you go down in an elevator, free fall elevator, my stomach got left behind. That's what that phrase is. That's the energy body being affected. So for a musician to reach the limit of their physical body, they have to enter into the energy body. What they want and what they're going for is the ability to be really, really relaxed and yet to play really fast. They play lots of notes. They play complicated notes. It's physically demanding to execute a piece of music and yet they do it with ease. And that's the energy body. Now, the gateway between the physical and the energy body is the subtle body. So the student needs to learn. And if the teacher can say this from the get-go, the teacher can say this from the start, then the student can watch out for this ability to be relaxed. 
Now, when a teacher says to a student, always remain relaxed, that's what's going on. That's what they're trying to convey. That's what their, their experience is telling them to do. But really, the student needs not just to remain relaxed, but they need to learn the difference between this clench or this use of the physical muscle, so the contraction of the muscle, and how letting that go opens something up. It has a blood flow. It has an oxygen flow that moves through the body. And to do that, they need to be aware of this difference and they need to search for this difference. So it's good advice to say always be relaxed, but it's not exactly always right. Now, another thing that comes to my mind is the point in the student's learning where they recognize subtlety. Now, subtlety in a movement, that's one part of subtlety, but there's also subtlety in the sound. And the difference between the physical notes of music making and the subtle notes, that's a, that's a pinnacle point in the student's learning because often... Well, there's, there's a period where the student is sort of playing the passages and then the teacher will play it and the teacher will say, no, no, play it like this. Here, li listen to me play it. Listen to how I play it. And of course, when the teacher plays it, it sounds so much better. There's a much better touch. There's so many inflections. There's details. It's a beautiful. They really make it sound beautiful. And then the student says, oh, wow, that sounds great. And then they play it and they play it the same and they, they, they can't hear the difference. And they say, well, I did play it like you. All the notes were in the right place. Did I play a wrong note? Which wrong note did I play? It's like, no. Well, well accuracy is one thing. That's the physical body. But it's like, well, no, you haven't got the detail. And a teacher can move a student into the subtle body specifically by working on the subtle body. And that would mean saying, well, you've got a range of dynamics. Loud, medium, soft, or forte, mezzo forte, pianissimo. And here's how that sounds. You see the difference? Do you hear the difference? And then you've got an accent. And at that stage, the student will say, oh, okay, so I've got accents and non-accents. And then they become really obsessed with it and they practice lots. And all of a sudden, all their, their music that they're playing, the pieces that they're playing, have really obvious accents and really obvious non-accents. And when they go to loud or they go to forte, they go really loud. And when they go to pianissimo, they go really soft, like get a little bit louder now, get a little bit louder. And it's like rah, 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 really loud and then really soft. And that subtlety is the skill of subtlety and the maturity of subtlety 
is the difference between an amateur musician and a pro musician. And a pro can hear it straight away. The experienced musician knows this. The amateur musician needs to practice more. Well, they just need more experience if they keep working at it. But there's this funny thing with the more you know, the worse you are. There's a paradox there, which is the more aware of your inadequacies you are, the more of a burden your your knowledge is or your awareness is, the more, the more tortured you are by your inadequacies. And there's a trap there for musicians, which is you can hear how good music can be and you can hear how terrible you sound and how amateur you sound. And the difference is you're, you're trying to work that difference. You're trying to get it happening, happening. I really want to be happening this way. And that sort of burdensome, uh, well, music can be liberating. Music is a path to freedom, but for a lot of musicians, music is a burden. And that is a little tricky one that every musician has to deal with. And more generally in life, it's a... It's a thing we all have to deal with. We all have to face. And that happens in time, time enough. But let, let me now just zoom out a bit more from the beginner musician to the intermediate and the advanced. Now, if you're a beginner musician yourself and you're listening to this, wow, you already have a understanding of the physical, the subtle the energy body, the emotional body, and the causal. You can go at this really as a complexified and all-rounded, multidimensional approach to music. Now, if you're an advanced musician, and I'm talking really, I'm talking 15 years, 20 years plus of professional performance, and you're a good musician... Now you can be you might have been playing for years but you're not very good but I'm talking about the musicians who are really good chances are you've already you've already discovered these differences you already know about all this it's just that you've never thought of these individual parts of your musical expression as bodies now if you're an, an intermediate musician if we I mean, we're on the scale of 3 like beginner intermediate advanced but it's a that's a huge scale there let's not we're just simplifying that for the sake of this conversation but if you're an intermediate musician you can say well what's missing from my music practice what's the thing that is next for me to expand my experience of music making my relationship to music making. Am I stuck just in technical things? Am I stuck just in the physical? Am I stuck always in the mind, the causal body? Am I always thinking about things? I'm always being mental with what I'm doing? Or do I need more subtlety? 
Do I need to open up more to subtlety? Do I, rem- do I need to remember how important subtlety is? It's a funny thing with trying to be subtle. I hope I'm not hitting this point over the head too much, but you can say to yourself, you can take the attitude of, yeah, I want more detail. I want more subtlety, more subtlety. And you say that to yourself over and over again, and then you try and then you try. That's really not enough. You really have to do specific it would have to be specific things for the subtle body. Specific exercises just for building subtlety. And yeah, the other thing that I haven't really addressed yet which is the the cosmic body. Now this sounds a bit like it's too far off in the clouds, too high up and too off in the off with the pixies for it to relate to intermediate or even beginner musicians. But really, the cosmic body is always there because the cosmic body is every other body. It's ever-present. It's continuous. It's immediate. And these moments of transcendence, these moments of a deeper experience, or what we might call a peak experience, is the musician intuition. That's the core of music. That's the call of music. This is why someone wants to take up music. Whether they know it or not, music appeals because there's been this moment where, ah, whoa. Something without words. And there are varying degrees of that. Maybe for some beginner musicians, it's just as deep as, wow, that was cool. I heard the saxophone on the radio, Daddy. That sounded fun. And maybe that's enough. And we can talk a lot about what we classify as a cosmic experience and not, but generally speaking, and on a on the deepest level, like on the on the lowest level possible or highest level possible, whichever way you want to put it, the cosmic body entering the cosmic body is the call to make music. And that is where you lose yourself. So the cosmic body is ever present, but if you can think of something which is where you're not in the physical body, your subtlety has gone all the way through to the extreme, your energy has turned inside out, and it's deeper than something that you, than what you would call an emotion, and you're not in your mind, you have no causal body, then all that together is what we'd call a cosmic body experience. Think of a situation which is like a doing a live show. Now, a live show has it, it it involves it involves everything. 
And specifically, I want to focus on the energy body because a live performance is one where often people say, or it would, it's easy to talk about in the way of saying, it's the energy body, it's the energy. So you can imagine, if you're an experienced musician, you can remember those shows where you say, that sucked, or that was a drag, or that really brought me down. That just took it out of me. So these sorts of phrases, they indicate something about how the energy went. It sucked the energy out of me. It pulled me down. This idea of the physical body falling down is because it hasn't been energized. It hasn't had the energy flow through it. It took it out of me. Now, energy is all about flow. It goes in and out in this constant swirling, this back and forth, this current-like thing is how you get it to move. And when you have a really good gig, you become energized from it. It gave me a buzz. It made me high. It electrified me. These sorts of terms. And it's possible to do a music performance and your physical body is brought to its total extreme and your mind and your emotions are all pushed by the energy. And the energy is the thing that keeps going. After a show like that, you'll find it hard to sleep, even though your body is exhausted. Because there's current still flowing through you. Now, there's an interesting thing, which is that energy in a music performance is devoid of skill. And this is something that a lot of musicians miss. There are so many musicians which are stuck on this black and white thinking, which is skill equals energy, ability equals energy, or physical movement equals energy. And I say this from my own experience. I have done shows with terrible musicians. And I have done it when I am not in form at all. And I, my playing has been rubbish. I'm talking, I'm talking amateur, terrible music. This is worse than your high school rock band. This is just, there's no timing. There's no detail. The sound is terrible. The tone is terrible. The instruments aren't in tune. It's just, it. if you heard it as a CD, you would think, turn that racket off. It's terrible music. But to be there and to be in the environment that we were, with the people that we were and the circumstances and the energy that we put out, it was an electrifying experience. It was an amazing experience. Everyone was dancing. Everyone was calling out. Now, that's not to say to hell with technique. That's not to say we don't need the physical body. 
We don't need discipline. We just need energy. That's the same mistake, but the other way. There are musicians that have, they're on that bandwagon as well. And that's the opposite than these, to these technical musicians. What you want is to be able to see both. Now, how energy flows in practice is what practice is. So practice is learning how to, well, there's energy and there's also meaning more broadly, but let's just stick with energy for now. So imagine this, say you're, say you're a drummer and you're learning how to, you're, you're trying to get into this thing of how energy flows. So the drumstick falls down to the skin of the drum and then bounces back up. Now from there, from this sort of Newtonian physics view of that, it would appear like my physical effort has gone into and the gravity of the Earth's pull has has paid, it's paid the universe to make the sound and then the sound is what's come back to me. Now this sort of exchange of black and white I trade physical effort or even effort, you can even say energetic effort or emotional effort for the sound, that doesn't work. That's not exactly what's going on there. This, if you really look into it experientially of what it's like to hit a drum Wow, there's there's such a small amount of effort. It's such a tiny it, it it's nothing. You can you can really drop you can really drop a drumstick and it will land on the drum and boom, it makes such a big sound. There's so much that comes out of the drum. It's so loud. Drums are a really loud instrument. And if you don't know what it's like to jump on the drums, then really, if you ever get the chance, do it and just have fun. Like that's, that's what happens when an amateur musician, like if you're in soundcheck or you're in a rehearsal and you see someone who doesn't play drums and then they get on the drums, they sound terrible, but they're smiling. They're just like, wow. And even in there, as a drummer like me, when I was playing drums, I'd have this thing like, wow, actually, no, I want to play because I'm better. I know I can get more than they get out of it. I know I can. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. Don't, don't let them, you know, there's something saying, don't let them show off how, how much they get out of it from so little. So really learning to do a drumstick of dropping it. Now, when you drop something, your hand is actually letting go. So a drumstick is not only grabbing, lifting, it's also dropping. So it's an up and down. I don't want to get too technical on it. I mean, the the mechanics of drum technique, that's, that's, the, that's the secret of it. But what's really happening is this difference between energy flow and effort and what's physically happening. Now, if you have a professional drummer who's experienced and you see them absolutely destroy the drum kit, 
They've played more notes than you've played in the last two years. And they did it in 40 minutes. You walk up to that drummer after the show and you shake hands with them. And it is a perfectly soft, gentle handshake. Their hands are totally relaxed. And whether they know it or not, the the years and years of practice that they've done has been to learn. So every time you hit the drum for practice, you would make an adjustment. You'd make a physical you make an adjustment in your the physical position. You make an adjustment in the energy that you put into it. You make an adjustment in the energy that you put into it. The the it's just like a detailed thing of back and forth and refining the the ability to do that. Now, if that's your approach to practice, then practice really can never get boring because practice, this word practice, it's quite funny because I always think of a general practitioner, like a doctor. So he's a, he's a GP. He practices medicine. Now, when we say someone practices medicine, that usually means the opposite of someone practices the drums or someone practices a musical instrument. The GP is actually doing it for real. They really are doing it. They practice it. It's there. They've graduated. Whereas with the musician, there's this thing of... The, 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 uh, the practice is completely different to the show. There's this totally big, there's this big difference between real music and practicing music. And, well, to be a musician, that's a big lifelong skill. So... It's important to make that distinction and really even as a beginner or even into intermediate, there's, there's no way to dissolve that difference. But to be aware that it's actually, a, a, it's a duality that's an illusion. You don't need to, if you say to yourself, I'm going to practice performing, now that's something that would really open things up. Well, I'm going to practice real music. I'm only going to play real music. And there are musicians where they say, I never practice. I absolutely am against practice. And these musicians literally have not practiced for decades. They had an initial practice at the start, but then they only ever played. They only ever performed or rehearsed or recorded. And there is a... There is merit in that approach. There's a logic there. But I guess it just comes back to what kind of musician you are. And then the same thing happens with... There's a a correlation there between music, learning music, and meditating. So when when you learn to meditate, this distinction of I am meditating between I am not meditating, that's an obviously clear difference. To you, it's like, okay, now I have to sit down and stop. Stop everything else and actually meditate. 
And then there comes a time when you're saying, well, I'm always meditating. But to to do that, you really need to practice a certain amount. That's a milestone that comes from learning where you've drawn that line and why it was drawn there between meditating and not meditating. And how deep that line is and 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 it might even be that you decide to bring back because you can you can fall into a laziness by saying oh I meditate all the time I meditate in my car when I'm driving or I meditate when I'm at work or I meditate when I'm standing in line and it might be well that's not enough that's not working with your lifestyle you're not really having your meditative practice break into your values it's not really breaking into your cognitive abilities. If it's not opening up new inner worlds for you, then just saying, oh, I, med- I just meditate throughout the day. That's not enough. And there's always this thing in uh, music, which is the woodshed. This is what I was, uh, I was called. Uh, well, this is what it was called when I was in high school, and this came from American jazz culture. I think maybe it's from music culture in general, but I was a jazz musician, so it was the jazz scene where they'd say, he's going to the woodshed. And what that, what that would mean this musician is going out, he's isolating himself, and he's only going to practice. He's just doing his instrument, and he's going to practice all day, every day, for some months. He's going to get deep. And when he comes back... So Charlie Parker famously did this. There was a time when Charlie Parker was playing saxophone in a big band. And the myth, the urban myth goes that the band leader stopped the band and said, not good enough to Charlie Parker. And he said, well, really? And then decided to go off for three or four years... And when he came back, well, he's the, he's the name that we know now. It's Bird. It was a transformation from Charlie Parker to Bird as a musician, as the iconic musician that he came. And it took years of dedicated practice for him to do that. And the same thing happens with meditation. So if you go and you isolate yourself and you meditate, you say, I am only meditating now, non-stop, in and out, no distractions. I'm on a silent retreat. Then when you come back, this flavor of, oh, I'm always meditating, I'm meditating throughout the day, that will have a very different flavor to it. So there's, a, there's something to be said about this immersion, this... Uh, what do you call it, submersion or immersing yourself in something for a short period of time and really just going for one thing, for a really, going an inch wide but a mile deep. There's times, there's a time in life for that. There is a time in life for having things up and down and just having a mix in your routine, but there is also a time in life for really going deep. So we've talked about this effort to reward 
this idea of a energy and how it works. Uh, I think maybe if we move along and get a little bit more into the practical side of opening up to these things. So you want to you want to use music to enter these bodies. So if we can talk about, I mean, we said a lot about the energy body. Let's talk a bit more about the emotional body. So to enter emotion and to strengthen your emotional body or to complexify it or to make its own language and to have a newness surrounding it, the emotional body can be triggered or all the bodies trigger the other body. So you can use the physical body or the energy body or the causal body even to, to trigger the energy, the emotional body. So if you say you are, your focus is emotion, you can use breath, you can use muscle, you can use the heart, you can use these things to enter into with music the emotional body. Now, you notice that a genre of music, it has its own emotional profile. Basically, the way I see it is a genre equals an emotion or just a handful of emotions. So if we say heavy metal, then you've got your anger, your frustration, your hate. And if you've got your soft rock, then, or maybe there's a nostalgic. I'm thinking of Angus and Julia Stone singing about heartbreak. And it's really soft music, and it's, oh, I used to love you, but now I don't know what's happening. Oh, we were together. This sort of, this sort of emotion. It's a dreamy sort of emotion. And then you've got these genres like the the pop music or the the party scene so the emotional profile of the party goer like woohoo yeah let's go out drinking whoa good to see you oh tonight's going to be a good night whoa this is fun then that's a genre in and of itself and then there's also sex and music as a sex appeal. Now, music that appeals to the, the, the sex drive is, is it's in its own way. And there's, so you could say, well, like soul music is the, well, soul music, it's partly sex, it's partly romance. You know, I'm thinking of that boom, 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 boom. I believe in miracles since it came along. <laughs> you know, you sexy thing, you sexy thing, you dare. You know, that's a if you're if you're sensitive enough to that song, to that style of music, then when that song comes on, you think, whoa, where are the sexy, you know, the sexy people? You know, there's a basic voice like, ooh, uh-huh. So you see that. You say there's a, a you have an emotional profile, and the music that you listen to reflects that. It's an indication of that. You can work out just by how you what what your relationship to music is with is what what your emotional profile is. Now, not all music has a strong emotional profile. It's not 
it's not necessarily the case that emotion is always at the very forefront of music. So if you're listening to some really technical, if you're a musician and you like these really technical, really brainy, really mindy things because they make you think really hard and you hear these complex melodies and these complex harmonies and it's all about complexity, well, that's causal body. That's the noosphere. That's the mind. And if you're always in the causal sphere, you're always in the causal body, then you behave a certain way, you talk a certain way, and your music reflects that. So you can use music to actually say, well, I'm too much in the mind. I do become too technical. How do I open up to emotion? And even that might be, it might be too much of a a leap for me to suggest that, to say, you have to understand there's so much to be learnt from opening up to deeper emotions. And even the case can be made that all music is emotion. Like the moments you remember in music are the moments when they touched your heart. Now, how do you tell the difference between an emotion and an energy. Now, there's an easy way to do that, and that is, what is the expression of the body, the physical body? So the physical body will give off indications of where you are centered. So when you're centered in the emotional body, your physical body is expressing something. So if you're expressing anger, you're clenching your fists. You're frowning your eyebrows. You're clenching your jaw. If you're happy, you're smiling. Your shoulders are up. You've got a spring in your feet. If you're sad or you're depressed, then you've, you, know, you bow your head. If you're really sad, then you've got tears pouring down your face. You're crying. This is a physical body expressing that you are in the emotional body. Now, when you're in the energy body... These sorts of expressions don't happen. Now, the, the basically, energy, when there's energy coursing through your veins, it's coursing through your blood. Go back to thinking where we were talking about spinning around on the oval really fast and then lying flat. The physical body isn't expressing anything there. And yet the nausea, the, the haywire of the energy body is still happening. Now, I guess there, there are, you, you can pick up on energetic things. There's, there's always subtle, there's always a, a variation. But basically, the emotional body is an expression and the energy body is, it's more, it's more still. So let's get back to emotion, which is to open up to emotion, you can listen to music, which is, which, which has an emotional profile to it, which is outside your normal emotional profile. So that means listening to heavy metal when you don't listen to heavy metal. It means listening to those broken heart love songs when you don't listen to them normally. And this takes an openness. It's not just open-mindedness. It's an open-heartedness. It's an ability to venture into the heart. 
And you have to be really sincere about saying, you have to be really curious. You have to reignite your curiosity with music. And you have to say, well, what is, what is happening? What is this musician trying to express when they're making this music? What emotion is behind this music? Now, most of the time, we're going through listening to the music that just by happenstance triggers us. But here, you're becoming conscious of your emotional composition. You're trying to open up to new states of being to new experiences in your inner being. And this means having the, the guts, I guess, to listen to music that you haven't listened to before. And this is, this is hard for musicians because they, they love what they love so much and it's easy to become just like, oh, that's not good. And the search for new music and the search for finding something that is different to what you normally listen to and yet still has an emotional trigger is not as black and white as just saying, this is something I haven't ever listened to before. Let me put it on and then I'll have the emotional reaction. You're not going to get the... Say, say you you've never listened to heavy metal before, you're not going to get it after just one listen through, after one album. You're going to have to do searching. You're going to have to find your way around to really see what what is it that that can... If you know what the emotion is, you know how it's triggering you in certain ways, then you're going to have a, a variety of things that you'll have to search through and it'll be some time before you pick those gems out and you really get them and i've discovered a lot of music by actually searching by genre so instead of searching by artists like back in the day it was more like i discovered music by going to music school and music school would have a performance and I wouldn't know who the musicians are. I would have never heard of them, but I would go to the performance. And of course, because it's live music, it was much higher chance that that music would make a big impression on me. And that's how I discovered new music. And now later on, I've been more like, well, then, then you know the artist and you search by artist. And then you can say, well, who else has this musician played with? So... To let me just take a bit of a breather. It's like it's like to search for music by genre and then to go through a playlist that's a lot more possible these days so if you listen to someone's playlist and you get a genre and then you have 10 
different artists on there and and out of that there's only a few that you like and then you go back to the artist and you then you find their music so maybe you can search by i mean we have the internet there's so many different ways in which the internet configures itself you can search by emotion so which emotion like if you say dark music when you say sad music, you say soft music. Now, probably now, now that I'm thinking this through, it's more like what you're gonna, you're not gonna get the real deal there. If you say oh, soft music or sad music, the first thing that comes up is gonna be cheesy. So that's why some digging is is needed. Or and, and I mean, we can talk more about like what it means to discover new music. That's a big subject, you know, talking to someone you admire or a musician that you know and saying hey what's good that's another that's another way but that's sort of like we're getting away from this emotional thing so that's music and opening to the emotional body through genres of music so let's move on now to the causal realm and this is the this is the world of the mind. So when you're when you're in your head, when you're in your thoughts, you're in the causal body. Now to enter a body, you just need to do something to, to enter the causal body, you just need to do something mental. You need something that requires your cognition. And to to strengthen your cognition through music it's as simple as reading more complex pieces of music now you notice that cognitive complexity appears as a perfect analogy and also a literal it's also a literal occurrence within music so this student who learns by reading by having the teacher say look at this dot and then play this note and then look at the next dot and then play this note and so on that's actually the first stage of psychological development which is one to one a equals b dot is dot it's a one step cognitive process and this is what we call the archaic or what i'm calling the archaic level of psychological development this equals this just because then the student's going to have a string of notes and that string is like the story when they have some harmony and there's a flow it's dot followed by dot followed by dot and that's how a story is constructed. So a story is one thing followed by another thing, and that's strung together, and it's a string of singular things. There's an event, there's a place, there's a character. The character does this, then the character does this. The character wants this. The character goes here. The character meets this character. The character says this. These are dot 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 points in this line and that's the that's the mythic stage of psychological development and of course beyond that we've got the rational stage 
And that's when the musician is learning music theory, or they say musicology, which is why are these notes here? Why did this note go here? Why did they go to this chord here? And a lot of music is purely rational. It's got this, it's got this, it's been developed through this thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, which is a three-prong approach. The story is linear, archaic is singular, then the rational wave of development is the three-prong approach, and it's more complex. It's saying, why, why, what's this? And then you can always say, well, why this? And then musicians come along and they say, well, why not try this? And then they try it and it doesn't work, so they try something slightly different. And it's like, well, why do we only have three notes to a chord? Let's have five notes to a chord. Why don't we play the 11th? Why don't we play a sharp 11th? And we say, well, it doesn't work here, but it does work here. And now why not have different time signatures? Why not do this? So this questioning, this back and forth, is, is the rationalist picture of music. It's the rationalist stage. And of course, beyond rational, we have the pluralistic stage. So the pluralistic stage is embracing all cultures. So musicians, when they're really advanced, they, they naturally find this for themselves and they say, well, I want to I study, you know, when you have the jazz musician and he says, I want to study Latin music, or I want to study Caribbean music, or I want to I study classical music. Or I want to study the music from the Mozambique. Or I want to go to North Korea, uh, South Korea, or Korea, wherever. I want to study Korean music. Or I want to study African music. There were a couple of drummers in my year at jazz school which said, oh, I want to study African drumming. Now that's the, the pluralistic meme, which is a cultural style of music and adopting that, and you say, "I want to adopt that authentically." So, you you can't use the ra- you can't use the rationalist meme in that. You can't go into Latin music and then say, "Oh, you know, reinvent it. Let's add sharp eleven chords, and why not try this, and why not try that?" That's that's not going to work. Latin music is Latin music, and you learn it as it is if you're a pluralist. And you learn many styles. Like there's musicians I've known. I've, I've been lucky enough, fortunate enough to have known musicians who can play multiple styles. And it's not every musician that can do that. That's a very, it's a deep, experienced, long, hard-hitting. These are very talented musicians who do this. So the pluralist meme is multicultural. And then what's after pluralist? Well, if, if you put this into spiral dynamics, we've got, you know, orange, the rationalist, green, the pluralist. And then what's after that? Well, after that, it's the momentous leap into second tier, which is yellow, or we can say multidimensional, which is where the musician knows that there are these differences and they can clearly identify all of them. They can say, this is rational, this is pluralist, 
this is cultural, or this is archaic, or this is mythic. And then they're navigating around all of them. And even they're making a synthesis and they're saying, well, how do we make our own music? How do we come up with something new which draws on all of these things? And it's a very, it's very rich music when you hear this is, it's rare. I mean, the, the multidimensional second tier thinking hasn't emerged yet globally. It's very rare to have someone making multidimensional music with that much depth. It doesn't, like, you really have to be aware of these things for it to occur. It's so rare. And it's going to happen more. Like, our cultural, our world culture is emerging into that stage. It's coming up next. And in as, in as little as 5 or 10 years, 10 to 15 years, according to Ken Wilber, he, he talks about this momentous shift in consciousness that's coming then the the center of gravity of our culture could be at second tier. So in that case, there's going to be more second tier music. If and if if you if we're thinking about it in this way, like these are very broad, far reaching ways to talk about music. So to plug music into spiral dynamics is it's the causal realm. This is all mind stuff. This is the mind body. So thinking about music is, is, is it's the psychology, the musicians, the, the musician's ability to think about music and culture at large is perfectly, dev- it's exactly the same as their ability to think about life. They're, do you get this? Your your consciousness development is exactly the same as your musical development. As you are as a musician is as you are as a human being. And this experience of reality that you're having is exactly the same as the experience you're having of music. Now, this episode is all about musicians. This episode is all about the people who play saxophone, the people that play drums or violin. Chances are you've tuned out if you don't play these instruments, and I probably should have mentioned this sooner, but there's a catch, there's a secret which is quite important to understand, which is that, yes, if you're a musician, you are. there's something special about you, but I'm here to tell you that actually, if you're not a musician, actually you are a musician. Just because you don't play saxophone doesn't mean you're not a musician. You still have an instrument. You still have something that you want to enter into, which is reality. And in fact, the musician, while they actually, while they have these broader 
intuitions for emotion and mind and energy and the physical body, much more so than, say, say a businessman. Like if you're a businessman or you're a banker or you're an accountant, then <laughs> I'm sorry, but you're not in the club. Like there's not, there, not, not every path leads to the summit. And that's what's unique about music. If you follow the path of music, you really dig into music, then these things will naturally open up to you. Energy will open up to you. Emotion will open up to you. The mind will open up, these sorts of things. And also the cosmos, your experience of reality will open up to you. But if you're a banker or if you're a businessman and you really dig deep into your business, then you're not going to get this, what we could say, vast, broad, grand varieties of life. These, these colorful experiences, deep and crazy and ins and outs and all over the place. These sorts of, like a businessman or a rich, say you're a rich investor, he doesn't use his investing as, I mean, he can use it as thrill-seeking. He can use it as something to bring more variety to his life but only to an extent really he's actually going to be spending money on certain things he's going to be well you know that's a that's a big rabbit hole like what does the what does the accountant do to i mean is is there any hope for the accountants is there any <laughs> i don't know i mean i'm trying to push this thing which is I guess you call it the the full life. What does it mean to have a full life? Now, if you follow the path of music, then you can have that. And there are many paths. But if you follow the path of the the, the banker, then you you know you there's something. It's unlikely. I mean, I can't see how. You know, extreme banking. I mean, yeah, I don't know if this is really clear to me. Like how I want to say this is there's really three things that I haven't clearly differentiated. It's like musicians and non-musicians. But we need a third category, which is the non-musicians who secretly are musicians. And they're, they're in a sense, they're musicians, but they don't play an instrument. And that's what you are. That's what I'm saying you are. Because music as a means to the physical, the subtle, the energetic, the emotional, the causal, and the cosmic, that's, that's something that doesn't need a musical instrument, doesn't need a skill as playing what we could, might call at this stage the conventional music. So there's music as conventional music and then there's music as music of the music of life, the music of existence. So listening to music, if you sing along to music, then you've got music in your heart. If you know how to dance, then you've got music in your body. Now, when I had the conversation where I initially laid out the differences between the five bodies, one of the things I said was that the secret to the five bodies is dancing. 
And you can enter these bodies and learn them and experientially open up to them through dance. And if you say your body or... See, we're, we're lacking words here. If we say your... If we say your existence is, if your existence is your instrument, then your dance is your performance. So the saxophone player's performance is the saxophone sound. Then the existential experientialist's dance with the physical body is their instrument. Now, it's not just the physical body. You can dance with the energetic body. You can dance with the emotional body. So, yeah. what I mean, maybe you can think of something. What, what is the equivalent of... What is the instrument of the person who's making existence music or to them existence is music? Like all the concepts of music, these... The fundamental pre- uh, principles of music, we all want. What the musician wants is what everyone wants. It's it's harmony. It's rhythm. It's tone. It's phrasing or it's melody. It's structure. Now, if we want a harmony in our lives, it's the things working together. We want the parts to be moving together. They need to appear like they all happen at the same time, and yet they are individual. And if we want a rhythm to our life, it means we want a flow. Rhythm is of the heart, the heartbeat. Well, well... I mean, the heart is the emotion. I've made a mistake there. The heart is the emotional center. The rhythm is of the physical body. So we all want a physical movement. We all want a drum beat to life, to feel the rhythm of life. You remember that song? The rhythm of the river, the rhythm of the street. How many songs have been written about the, the rhythm of our life, our experience of reality? And then to have a melody, well, melody initially means like something sweet. When we think of a tuneful melody, we think of something like a bird singing. But a melody is not always sweet. We want a, I mean, what is, what is a melody more fundamentally? I mean, it's a string of singular notes. It's linear if... If harmony is complex, then melody is... I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm scratching my head here. I don't know, you know, yeah. What is the melody of life? What is the, what is the equivalent there? And then structure or tone or timbre, we, we not just want nice sound. Like the, the, the timbre of your... The music that you listen to is the the timbre of your life, and how much variation there is. Like, it's most people wouldn't go from listening to really heavy, loud music to listening to soft classical music or chamber music 
or choral music, like choral music where they're singing and it sounds all heavenly, like, <laughs> I feel funny when I demonstrate these sorts of things. <laughs> I wish I could sing like an opera singer. I mean, well, not really. I mean, I listen to it a little bit, but to to go from that and then going to heavy metal and having a wide variety, like not many people would see that as an indication of an experience of life which has variety. So, yeah, it's important to think think through music or to enter into music even if you're not a musician and to learn music from... to, to learn or to dance with music, you know... The secret to music is to dance, and the secret to dance is music. Really, the people who are professional dancers, they should study music, and they learn to count. They count one, two, three, four, or they count, or they learn the uh, different time signatures, or they learn the different flows. They they respond to the music. So a good dancer is someone who really knows the music, and really, to to be a musician, you have to know how to dance. Like when you are when you're playing an instrument, you're actually dancing. You're not playing an instrument, and you're not you're not making a sound. The sound is making you. And and just in the sense that the drumstick and the effort and reward that there's a circular feedback there. There's also a feedback between the sound that you make. So if you make a sound and then it comes to you, then you dance and then you respond and then that goes into the instrument. If you look at someone like, if you ever heard this saxophone player, Kenny Garrett, not to be confused with Kenny G, Kenny Garrett is this alto saxophone player, American, and he's one of my favorites. And he he moves, He they, they use this microphone on, they they have to attach it to the end of the saxophone because when he plays he moves it's like back and forth back and forth you can you can hear it in my microphone because I'm doing it a bit he's nodding back and forth here and there here and there whoa whoa whoa, whoa. sorry if I bump the microphone but look up look up what that's like and he's doing a dance and musicians they all they all sort of I mean, particularly jazz musicians, they have this sort of funny thing. It's like, oh, they're pulling funny faces or they're squirming. And, you know, when it comes to heavy metal, well, look at what's happening with heavy metal. They they bang their head. They they push their head. They're dancing with their... They're smashing their head. So the head moving... Now, that's the head is the center of the causal realm. The head is where the mind is. So they're shaking out their mind they're f- and they're using their physical body to get out of the causal body. They're pushing their head. They're banging their head. They get really terrible. <laughs> I've had some neck injuries from this back in the day. I remember how stiff my neck would be the next day. But head banging, there's a reason that that dance, I mean, it's not. you wouldn't see it as a dance normally. You just call it head banging. But there's a reason that that body movement goes with that style of music. 
And then you go across to your classical pianist who's wearing their silk dress and they're up on the stage and they're sitting there and they don't move at all. They are either completely, well, I hope they're in the energy body having complete rapture of bliss and energy is flowing through them. But really, I mean, it's possible to play like that and to be completely in the mind. They're only in the head. Their physical body is not moving at all. Their emotional body is not moving at all. There's no emotional connection to the music. They're remaining detached. And they're only, they're, they're only doing the mind, which is the causal body. Now, detachment, you, there's something to be said about the difference between being detached and being involved in music because you can mix that up with what a lot of spiritual teachers or meditative teachers call the witness. So when, when a master musician says they're not doing it, they've removed themselves and they're just witnessing what's going on, that's a deep state. That's where they've, they've transcended these bodies. So this, the, when, when, you, when you really navigate these bodies a lot and, and you've had a wide variety of emotions and you have this big mind, you have this vast understanding in your head and your physical body has mastery, you really have some skill with it. And there's lots of subtlety there. You know, you've, you've gone through these bodies a lot and you're experienced with them. You learn that there's actually something that is that the bodies are happening to. So you're going in and out of these bodies and you build this thing or you discover this thing. What is doing the in and out? What is going in and out? What is the thing that remains the same? So the witness or the, the centaur, which is what Ken Wilber calls it, which is the thing that's beyond the mind and emotion and the physical. It's also called the witness, as I've been calling it, as, as we've been saying. That's different to the classical musician who is detached and not involved, and they don't have a deep connection with the emotional body. I mean, I don't mean to pick on the the only reason I use classical music was to contrast it with the heavy metal music or the jazz music. So not all, you know, it's not a be all or end all like classical musicians. It is possible to be a classical musician and to have a deep emotional connection with music. So this, uh, yeah, like maybe it's more like the, when it comes to classical musicians, it's not the musician as performer. It's more like the composer. So when a composer is making something, then there's a, an emotional composing from an emotion and constructing something for an emotional effect. And that's, that's where I see it coming up more in classical music. But I mean, it's hard. It feels hard to speak so generally. I mean, there's always exceptions to the rules. So, yeah, I just wanted to paint that difference between the witness and detachment. And if you can understand that dancing is, is what you're doing when you're making music, then you can really open up your understanding of these bodies.
So we've covered a lot. There's still more to go. And one thing I'd like to venture into is, well, I won't spend too much time on it, but it's the social sphere for musicians. So if you're in a social network as a musician, then you've got certain connections occurring with the musicians that you play with, the people that you play with, and the friends that you make. So basically, one way to open up to the different bodies is to play with other musicians in the way that they play. Now, there's always this thing for the musician, which, oh, I wish I was playing with better musicians. I wish I was in a better band. I wish I was in, in making good music. I wish this was my thing. Now, that's a thing in and of itself, and it's probably too much to dig into now, but using this understanding of the five bodies to find new avenues of being is is a really good way to open up, and you can find new relationships, and you say, well, it turns around the assumption of what musicians you connect with and what people you connect with more broadly. Normally, it's like you go and you have a play with a musician or you meet with a person and you sort of leave it to chance of, oh, did we connect or did we have an emotional connection or not or did we get along or well or not or, oh, did I really like that guy or did I really not? Here, you can say, well, now I'm going to the attitude of the more different they are to me, the more they're opening me up to something new, which is what I want, because I want to expand my inner world. And that's, that's a deeper insight that goes beyond music. The, the encountering of another person for the purposes of opening up your emotions, your mind, your energy, that's, that's broader than just musicians. But here... Usually the, the people that you play with, like imagine starting a band with someone that doesn't match with you. You know, if you're, I mean, it's another word is not really so much uh, emotional profile, but attitude. Like if you've got a positive attitude, it's going to work. You really want to adopt a positive attitude. That's so important. If you go into a rehearsal and you're like, oh, you know, or whatever, or yeah, oh, I don't like this stuff. Or, I don't play that way. You know, if you've got, you've got all this negativity, no one's going to want to play with you. And also energy in terms of how much propellant there is for your physical body. There's a limit to that too, where say someone calls you to join your band and they say, yeah, we're playing 10 nights in a row and we also rehearse every day. And on the seventh day, we're also doing a full day of recording and you know every show is in a different city and you say whoa you know that that kind of schedule that amount of energy there's only a certain number of musicians who can do that like there's it's a, it's a way of getting a gig you know in a sense if you have the energy the ability to say you know what no problem i can play that much and maybe that comes back to practice. Like if you've practiced 12 hours a day and you've learned about energy and you've cracked the code of how 
it feeds back and feeds in, you can have it flow, then you can play 10 nights in a row in all different cities. So, you know, but, but that's a big leap to where most people are at. The ability to do that. And there's certain musicians where you look at their schedule and you go, what on earth is he doing? What is he or she doing? That's impossible. How do they do that? How do they get so much out of it? Like the the productivity meme, the productivity idea really comes down to emotion. And when you're meeting with musicians and you're making friends or you're starting bands or you're finding who to play with, then that's a big determining factor of whether it's going to work out or not. I'd now like to move along with some more practical things. And this is basically under the guise of what would I do if I had a band? Or what would I do if I was a musician? And these little tricks that I'm sharing with you now, they come from this remarkable woman who I met during my travels. Now, this woman's name is Kalvati. She's a Japanese woman, and I don't know her last name. I've only ever known her as Kalvati. And she was my music teacher for a a few times, and she was also a good friend of mine. And she's quite an amazing person. And what she's created, which I'm sharing with you now, needs to go to have credit to her. So... Thank you, Kalvati, for sharing me these wonderful things. And I'm so glad to be presenting them here. I hope you don't mind. So this lady, she is very aware of meditation. She's a very experienced meditator and very aware of a whole range of awareness techniques and consciousness techniques and, of course, of dance. So she's created this music class or this music style which is specifically for the the energy body and what she's got us to do or what you can do is basically you get in touch with the experience of energy through singing. So just like when you you put a mouthpiece on a trumpet and you blow it with the right buzz then the open valves, there's a, there's a note, so it's like a B-flat. The open valve note for a trumpet is a B... I think it's a B-flat. I hope it's a B-flat. But anyway, the point is that there's a natural note that happens. And just in the way that there's a natural note for each instrument, there's also a natural note for your physical body. So you can, you can like... Ah... Let out a sound... Ah. 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 
hope you don't mind me demonstrating, but you can hear there how the tune changed and the timbre changed as I was singing this note. So if you're a singer, maybe the singer, well, there's something about the singer that puts you in a whole nother class. If you're a singer, then your voice and your body is your instrument. And maybe you have the, be- the, the greatest ability to open to these bodies better than all the other musicians and all us common folk. But singing, that using that voice and opening to the vibration is how you can become deeper connected to music and to vibrations. So energy is just vibrations or music is just vibrations. So this this note of uh, you can do that and listen to where your body vibrates. Where in your body does it happen to have a trembling? Try it, try it with me if it's natural for you to do so. You can you can go again. So when I do that and I'm making different inflections, I can feel the vibrations moving around different parts of my body. So if you can be sensitive to that, if you do this and you are opening up to the sensitivity of the vibrations, then this is your doorway into breaking into the energy body and you're starting this feedback loop between sounds. Now you notice, actually, this happens not just with your voice, but it happens when you're listening to music. There's a vibration in your body. And these these huge concerts where they have these massive speakers and they're so loud and you go and stand right next to them. If you if you do that and you go and stand right next to this massive speaker, then you feel well, it's sort of like spinning around really fast and then lying on the ground. Your energy body is being pulverized. It goes deep through your body. The sound waves are just washing through you. They're penetrating through you. So using the voice and the voice box as a way of opening up to vibrations is a really, it's a powerful thing. And I, and I got this technique from, from Kalvati. So thank you, Kalvati. And then there's also emotion because the, the energy that moves through you, it can hit the heart. It hits the, the, the center and that's the center of emotion. So if you're at these concerts and you're saying, wow, that's really emotion, like there's a very close, well, energy and emotion, it's, it's more like a scale. We just say that they're two different things. And I mean, all the bodies are like a scale, but that they're closely related because, you know, there's the energy of the heart. So energy inducing through the body goes like this. It's where you have these parts of the body moving in different ways, but then somehow also coordinated. So if you think of a saxophonist where they breathe in and breathe out and blow, 
and they're moving their fingers. So the fingers are moving at one speed and then they have their breath going at one speed and then deeper they've got their heart. They've got their heart rate going. And most likely the heart rate is different to the pulse of the music so they can sway. Then that's that's a you know the the fingers, the breath, the heart, the pulse, the body. There's four or five different things happening in a different way and coordinating these and making them happen in a way that is it's what induces the state in music. So to have a, a breathing pattern or a physic, to have your fingers moving one way and your body moving the other, that's a, that's a complexity. And the thing that opens up an emotion through the body is when something's going wrong, like you'll, you'll feel distressed, you'll have a distressed emotion if the body does something it's not prepared for or something happens to the body which is outside its shape usually when we use learn music there's a there's a gradual process of the body going into new positions but when you play music and something and the music takes you and the body is happening in new positions like like an improvising musician can really get a hang of this really quite deeply because their body moves in a new way but in a sense it's not distressful because there's something that is controlled and uh, stable about it but there is something happening so the the emotion opens up and that's how emotion opens up so playing music and coordinating the fingers the limbs and having it coordinate with the the beat, the pulse, and having that in contradiction, like how that penetrates into the heart, that that crossover there is what's going to cause the music. So if you if you really look at the the moment in a piece of music where you say, "Wow, that was a really emotional music. That was a really emotional moment," then chances are you'll find that the musician played something where where you were being snuck into it it was you were lulled into it and then it changed and there was a dramatic switch so there's a there's there's these sayings like oh it took my breath away or my heart skipped a beat at that moment or you know at that climax i had to hold my breath so these phrases of like your heart skips a beat, that's when the rhythm, a, a real complex rhythm is a, a heartbeat and then there's this moment where the heartbeat skips a beat. Now, it depends on, you know, what music resonates with you, depends on your profile. Like your heartbeat is a, a, a beat, a pulse in the music is a simulated heartbeat and there's a connection there that if the musician is skilled or the composer is skilled enough then they're going to use that to tug on your heart in just the right way at just the right moment to induce an emotion so making music with 
with these things of the physical body inducing the emotional body and then using the voice for vibrations is a is an excellent way to have things open up and to really to really happen so if i was a, in a band i would be writing music for this purpose and i would be getting people to like you can do this without being a musician you can put on music and then sway from side to side. And then when you're swaying side to side slowly, you can then move your fingers really fast. You're moving your fingers really fast. You know, slow music with a slow beat with fast melody. Well, that's just jazz music, isn't it? That's just the romantic. <laughs> I don't know if I can explain what I'm thinking right now, but basically, let's get back to the exercise. Sway your body slowly from side to side. You move your fingers really fast and then find where your breath is so you can slow your breath to be even slower than the swaying. Now, we've got three different speeds happening. Now, if you're sensitive enough, you can find where your heart rate is. And if you can do your swaying, your breathing, and your fingers tw twinkling, I'm, I'm, you see, the reason I stopped then is because I'm trying to do it and I can't talk and explain it while I'm doing it because there's too much to call. It's sort of like that thing where you can trick a kid by saying, pat your, what is it? Pat your head and rub your tummy. You know that one? You pat your head and circle on your tummy and then swap hands and now change hands. And then you, what happens is, oh, well, then you rub your head and you pat your tummy, but then you, oh, whoa, whoa. So that that moment of, oh, oh, well, I've got it wrong. That's the same thing as what's happening here with moving the fingers fast, swaying from side to side, slowing the breath, and then seeing where the heart rate is. And then you listen to the music and the beat is different. And then that's going to induce something. And if it's discordant, if there's lots of, there's sharp, they're, they're unrelated, but they're real, then that's going to cause distress. Now, dis causing a distressful, fearful emotion, there's a, there's a place for that. There's, a, there's, a, there's, an ex there's an aliveness there. That's the heavy metal music. That's the err, that's the fire in music. Now, if there's a harmony there, uh, we could say a rhythmic harmony. <laughs> That's a good term, isn't it? A rhythmic melodic harmony, a, a, a melodic rhythm, <laughs> harmonic rhythm. <laughs> well, that that's actually a term which means something slightly different to what I'm saying here. Harmonic rhythm is the rate in which harmony moves past in music. But here I'm talking about the coordination of the the moving parts of the beats. Now, if that's happening in a, in, a, in a sweet way, then it's a nice emotion. And I could sense when I was trying to do it and explain it, I switched out of my mind. That's why I couldn't keep talking. I mean, you have to be in your mind to talk, really. The only way you can be in the mind is to talk. So falling out of the causal body into the physical body, sorry, into the emotional body, through the physical body is 
doing these coordinate this coordination here and and coordination this word coordination is is quite big for musicians because you know well you say you say it a lot for a drummer like a drummer's coordination but really every musician needs coordination so deep emotional experiencing comes from the ability to have complex coordination with parts of the body that are really alive to you. Now, the limbs, coordinating the limbs is one thing, and that's different to coordinating your heart rate, your heartbeat. Allowing music to take your heartbeat, like you know, if there's a fast beat, then if you and you and you are sensitive to that beat, then your heart rate goes faster, and that's your your emotional or your energetic center affecting your physical body. And you say, "Oh, I really like fast music. I really like fast music," and really, music that has a, a variety of tempos and a variety of emotional profiles, emotional colors, and emotional avenues is 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 rich music. So coordinate, I mean, what else is there to say about coordination? Have I, have I hit that point enough? What, well, what do you, I mean, think, think of it for yourself. What can you say about coordination? Emotion, emotional complexity is directly proportionate to your coordination complexity. And we can say that emotion is things that are out of control, but also in control. So if you're successfully, think of it this way, when, when you learn a piece of music and you're coordinating your limbs and your fingers and your breath, and to a lesser extent, your heart. I mean, you leave your heart to chance most most of the time. But you're learning this piece, and then you, you, you can't quite get it, but then you get it. There's this point where there's an excitement, and you get the, the, the pop, the magic, like, whoa, this is how it feels to play like this. Whoa, this, is, this feels great to play it. And that, that little hump, when you get over that, is like, wow, wow, this is happening, and you get to feel it, and then you can coordinate it. And you've gone from struggling with the coordination to, to doing the coordination. But then there's a wear-off. It's like you play it over and over again, and that's when the person is saying, oh, you know, I'm sick of this piece. I've played it so many times. It's so boring, like the boredom of a piece is they know how to coordinate it and they can switch off from their mind, they can switch off from their heart, they can switch off from their emotions and they're just being mechanical. Now what's happening there is that they're not challenging their coordination. They need to be learning something new. They need to find that edge of only just being able to play it. And there's a thrill, like if you watch an improvising musician, 
and you hear them, then you can hear, like this is what's called taking risks in improvised music. And, I mean, you can be a musician to do this, and to hear this, you really have to know the music well. And it's like, it's a very subtle thing, but this risk of the the thrill-seeking, like I'm going to go for something, and you think, well... I mean, there's two things here. There's there's one where the the musician actually knows how to do it really well, and they set it up as flashy, showing off like, wow, I've done this big, amazing, virtuosic thing, but actually I've practiced it a whole bunch of times. That's one thing. But then there's also the musicians who really are, you know, well, for want of a better term, they're getting their balls out. They're really trying to play their heart out. And that's that's them expressing their soul. That's them putting out, like playing your ass off is when you take risks and you really go for it. Like there's an edge there in the musician, which is, whoa, like he really threw down. Like these phrases of he played his ass off, he got his balls out. Whoa, that was amazing. Oh, you tore the stage to shreds. All these sorts of phrases are the musician taking a risk and pushing their emotion, pushing their energy, coordinating their, coordinating, but also almost not coordinating. If the drummer drops a drumstick, something goes wrong. It's like, whoa, what happened? Quick, pick up the drumstick. There's a risk there. There's a thrill there. And really, this, this applies to, to life. Like, are you taking risks? Can you take this, this thing into the rest of your life? This idea of being balls out, the thrill seeker, trying to coordinate things, going for something, playing your ass off. This doesn't just apply to musicians. It applies to whatever you're doing. And it might be that what you're doing, it's not right for that. And not all things are. To really go for it and to have a big performance, that's a flowering moment. That's a rare moment. So just think, when can you take a risk and when can you coordinate things a little bit more in a risky manner? Like, can you take a risk dancing one time? Can you take a risk with your sports? Can you take a risk with how you work? Can you take a risk in your relationship? Like, what would that mean to be, I'm going to just edge out on my relationship. I'm going to try something really left field with my relationship with someone. Could be anyone. Now, I have outlined a sketch up for a book, which is tentatively titled Lakeside Music Practice. And that will be a book that I may or may not release, depending on, maybe it will be out by the time you hear it, but it's just an idea. I don't know how much interest there would be in it, but it basically talks about these things here. It talks about the five bodies of the the energy body, the causal body, the emotional body, the subtle body, 
and also the cosmic body. I mean, we didn't talk too much about the cosmic body. But there's also the, the performance body. There's also other ways to conceptualize this idea of the body. And I also add that these terms, you know, there's, there's new terms in this book and there's things of talking about all parts of music in this book and it's still in its early stages. So just keep a lookout for it. And another thing that I wanted to mention quickly was this idea of why do we talk about things in terms of a body and not just a mind? Like why do we say the mind is a causal body? Well, it's just a way of talking. This is just one this is just one conceptual framework that we use. We there's a lot of interest in performance on what we call state or flow or how the mind is. So there's a lot of research into having performers or musicians strapped with their heads strapped in to EEG machines and then they're doing the different well are they beta waves or alpha waves or gamma waves what's happening with the brain when you're making music like this is your brain on music but that's that's a limited perspective there's there's value in that and in a sense, you can say everything is in the mind, everything is in the brain, but that's sort of a reductionist view, and it's easier for me, I find it better. It's more complex to say that there are these different centers, which is the emotional center, like the the heart, the feeling in the chest, right behind your breastplate. I mean, the heart, the physical heart is off to one side, but the heart center is actually in the middle and that's where your emotion is. If you have a deep emotion, you feel it there. You don't feel that up in your forehead. And when you're moving your limbs, and you're really trying to get your fingers and your arms and your hands moving in a certain way, then you're not, you're not thinking. So, I mean, if, if you've listened this far, you're, you're with me. You're on board. I mean, it's just one way of talking. So, yeah. I think that covers everything for music and the five bodies. There's a lot there to chew on. I'm sure there are a few threads that I missed. And what I've been doing with these episodes recently is ending with a few minutes silence. Now, I know this has been a long episode already, but... Come back to patience. Come back to yourself. Come back to meditation. And I'm going to do it with you because I need to digest what I've said. We're going to take a few minutes to just be quiet, re retouch with silence. So don't skip over. Don't distract yourself straight away. And if you can, stop what you're doing, close your eyes, and for these last few minutes, we'll just have some silence. And that's all I have to say for now.